The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Good morning, Story City. Um, My name is Jonas. I have been attending Story City for about five years. Um, I have the privilege and honor to be the co-leader for the City Life Community Group and uh, the co-host for the Friday night prayer night. So um, if you would like to hear more about any of those, please talk to me after the service. Um, I have the honor of reading the gospel, the word of the Lord today. Um, So if you guys would like to please stand. We are going to be reading John 21, 4 through 18. I will first read in English and then in German. Um, By the end of it, I will finish by saying this is the word of the Lord, and you guys will respond with thanks be to God. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. Und jetzt in Deutsch. In Morgengrauen stand Jesus am Ufer, doch die Jungen erkannten ihn nicht. Jesus rief ihnen zu, Freunde, habt ihr nicht ein paar Fische zu essen? Nein, antworten sie. Da fordert er sie auf, werft das Netz auf der rechten Seite des Bootes aus, dann werdet ihr einen guten Fang machen. Sie folgten seinem Rat und fingen so viele Fische, dass sie das Netz nicht mehr einholen könnten. Jetzt sagt der Junge, den Jesus sehr lieb hatte, so Petrus, das ist der Herr. Kaum hat Simon Petrus das gehört, zog er seinen Obergewand an, das er während der Arbeit abgelegt hat, sprang ins Wasser und schwamm an das nahe Ufer. Die anderen Jungen waren noch etwa 100 Meter vom Ufer entfernt. Sie folgten Petrus mit dem Boot und zogen das gefüllte Netz hinter sich her. Als sie aus dem Boot stiegen, sahen sie ein Kohlenfeuer auf dem Fische breiten. Auch Boot lag bereit. Jesus bat sie, Junge, bringt ein paar von den Fischen her, die ihr gerade gefangen habt. 
Simon Petrus ging zum Boot und zog das Netz an Land. Es war gefüllt mit 153 großen Fischen. Und obwohl es so viele waren, zerreißt das Netz nicht. Kommt her und esst, sagt Jesus. Keiner von den Jungen wagt zu fragen, wer bist du? Aber sie alle wussten, es ist der Herr. Jesus ging auf die zu, nahm das Brot und verteilte es an sie, ebenso der Fisch. Dies war das dritte Mal, dass Jesus zu seinen Jungen zeigte, nachdem er von den Toten auferstanden war. Nachdem sie an diesem Morgen miteinander gegessen hatten, fragte Jesus Simon, Simon, Sohn von Johannes, liebst du mich mehr als die anderen hier? Ja, Herr, antwortet ihm Petrus, du weißt, dass ich dich lieb habe. Dann sorg für meine Lämmer, sagte Jesus. Jesus wiederholte seine Frage. Simon, Sohn von Johannes, liebst du mich? Ja, Herr, du weißt doch, dass ich dich lieb habe, antwortete Petrus noch einmal. Da sagt Jesus zu ihm, dann hüte meine Schafe. Und ein drittes Mal fragt Jesus, Simon, Sohn von Johannes, hast du mich wirklich lieb? Jetzt wurde Petrus traurig, weil Jesus ihm nun zum dritten Mal diese Frage stellt. Deshalb antwortet er, Herr, Du weißt alles. Du weißt doch auch, wie sehr ich dich lieb habe. Darauf sagt Jesus, dann sorg für meine Schafe. Ich sage dir die Wahrheit. Als du jung warst, hast du dir selbst den Gürtel umgebunden und bist gegangen, wohin du wolltest. Im Alter aber werdest du eine Hand, deine Hände ausstrecken. Eine andere werde dir die Gürtel darum binden und dich dort herführen, wo du nicht hingehen willst. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> hey, I realized I gave a very long passage, and that was a lot of German. Well done. I was following along some of those pronunciations I would not have gotten. Hey, welcome to our third and final on Guilt and Grace. If you are near here, new here and this is your first time, um, I apologize. We are now in our Star Wars reference for you here. This is the blowing up of the Death Star, but you don't understand the first two movies, so we're going to have to just work with that. Um, I'm going to pray real quick, and we'll get going. Um, we had five minutes of German, which I did not factor in, so now I've got, to, I've got to hurry up here. So, God, we just thank you for your word. We don't need more of us. We need more of you today. I pray that you would bless us, and we pray that you would help us to understand and grasp how you've dealt with our guilt what is grace, and how we might move forward. pray this in your name. Amen. Real quick, um, I was fired from a job 13 years ago. Well, it was actually an internship, um, summer internship, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about that story. But I was in grad school in Washington, D.C., and this company had come, medical device company had come on site, and we were interviewing for a paid internship in Minneapolis. Um, After several rounds of interviews, they offered me a job to come out with my wife and kids at the time and be an intern for marketing medical devices. Um, it was great. Three weeks before we were supposed to go, they called me and said the group that had hired you had dissolved. So suddenly I was an intern orphan within that organization. They said, don't worry, we'll have a job for you. Um, just show up and we'll figure this out. I said, that sounds good. So I showed up. Um, my boss, I will put that in quotes, um, gave me a four-inch binder and said, read this on your first day. We don't have a laptop or a project for you. The binder was an operations manual for medical device leads for a pacemaker. If you've ever read in eight hours a binder, you're new, because I haven't read it either. 
Second day, she gave me another binder. Third day, another binder. At that point, I was slowly losing my mind. And finally, they gave me a project. The problem is, is my boss and I did not get along from day one. Um, by week number two, I just flat out asked her, you never wanted me, and you never wanted an intern, did you? And she said, nope, we didn't want you. And I thought, well, at least we know where we stand now. I went to HR and I said, you know what, why don't you just pay me out for the rest of the summer and I'll just go home? Why waste each other's time? HR said, we can't do that, but we're really sorry. And I said, well, that's great. So I took very long lunches, took long walks, spent eight weeks wandering around doing my project. I thought I did a pretty good job. But when it came to my final review, you had the potential of getting a job offer with this company, which I wanted so badly because I wanted to reject them. <laughs> so I didn't even want the offer, I just wanted to tell them no. She sat down and there was nine qualifications they assessed me against. And as she read each qualification, she told me I got the lowest rating on all nine. Like a report card with nine Fs. And I thought, there goes my revenge rejection, they've already rejected me before I could reject them. And then she said, I don't think you're gonna work out here. And I said, okay, seems pretty obvious. And then she paused and she goes, I don't think you're going to work out anywhere. So from her high perch as she scanned the world, she looked at all the jobs in the world. She assessed me and said I was not qualified for anything. I still have that review. I've kept it. And in that moment, I felt the closest to Michael Jordan I've ever felt as he was cut from his basketball team in high school and is now as the goat, I too, the goat of interns, <laughs> was cut from my, my job. But it gets this interesting thought of qualifications. What was I qualified for? What does that even mean? How do we think about that? In the last three weeks, we've been watching the story of Peter. Um, Last time we left off, we saw Peter leaving and weeping over the reality of, of betrayal. And if you were here before, we talked about the anatomy of guilt, right? Watching, what does guilt mean? What, why does it exist? What does it do to us? What happens when we don't have a solution for it? Is God's answer, is there an answer that God has for guilt? The second service, last time, we talked about the remedy for guilt. We looked at the cross and we understood, we watched Peter deny Christ three times. And then ultimately, leave weeping at the reality of his denial. His fear that Jesus would see him and know him and see his betrayal was also realized as Jesus looked across that room, if you recall in our last service, made eye contact with Peter and only made Peter feel worse and Peter left crying. But we talked about this also, that that wasn't the only one that left. Jesus too leaves, but Jesus goes to the cross and at the cross we see that Peter's sins are paid for and nailed to the cross, covered, forgiven, and dealt with. And as Christ willingly takes on Peter's guilt and grace, he takes on Peter's guilt with grace, we see that Christ is answering, ultimately, the problem we have with sin and the guilt that comes with it. We know that the story, the gospel story after this, is that Jesus dies, and you can read in your Bibles the whole story of him dying, and then three days later he's raised from the dead. We're coming up to Easter where we celebrate that moment, and we know that that resurrection results in Jesus' acceptance of the payment for our sins. 
But here's the reality. Peter really hasn't seen Jesus since then. So he's raised, and this is what we're going to cover today, and that's what we read, both in English and spectacular German. Thank you, Jonas. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more of this just for a second. That idea that when Jesus, when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. He looks out, sees some guys fishing, instructs them to fish differently. They catch a lot of fish, and then we get the story that we just read. You can imagine this moment where there's this guy on the beach yelling random fishing advice to some experienced fishermen, and yet they follow that advice and simply switch sides of the boat on fishing. And when they catch all those fish, a light bulb turns on, and they say, wait a minute, where have we seen this before? And if you know the Gospels, you've actually seen that Jesus did this before. He was telling them from shore, do you know who it is? And they had no idea who it was. At that point, they recognized that it is Jesus. And Peter does something remarkable. Puts more clothes on, which is inadvisable, first of all, and leaps into the water to swim to shore. You see, Peter senses that Jesus is near. His heart has been so burdened with guilt and beginning to feel, he's beginning to believe the truth that God had from him from the beginning. Peter, it's not you holding me, I'm holding you. I see you, Peter. I see your heart. I see your need. I see the guilt. And remember all those promises that Jesus gave him earlier, that he would, in fact, betray him, but he would be restored. When you've been restored, he said, strengthen your brothers. Peter wanted restoration. See, in, the, in our story of guilt, we don't just simply want guilt to be gone and done. God also says that I will restore you and bring you back to myself. As we look at God's answer of guilt, Christ's death, death on the cross, our hearts begin to flong for restoration. And some of you have actually shared that story with me. Not just a matter of I feel guilty, and not even a matter of I know where the answer is, but I want restoration. I want value, usefulness. I want to be in service. I want purpose again. Peter sees that Jesus is near and has to get to him. I think some of you are actually on this grace journey. This is where you are. You've been through the sorrow, the shock, the running. You've seen God's answers for sin and guilt. Your heart is beginning to trust that answer, but you're also longing for restoration. Well, here's an example. Don't just sit in the boat, jump in the water and swim. See, Peter knew something. Jesus was good. He wanted to get to that good, and he knew that restoration was with Jesus. But he also needed to talk. He hadn't seen Jesus in several days. Can you imagine what he's thinking? There's Jesus. He jumps in, but imagine when he pulls up on shore, what that's like. Is it quiet? Maybe a little awkward? Maybe he starts to fiddle with some nets, pretend he's busy. They have breakfast. And in that moment, Jesus begins that conversation that I think sometimes we regret or at least we wish didn't happen, but is the first step towards restoration. Here Peter says, I have a question for you. Do you love me more than these? If you recall from our past services, Peter swore up and down that he was the best, didn't he? He had his I'm number one foam finger that he loved to show everyone. His shirt that said, Jesus, ride or die, prisoner death. And yet, at this moment, Jesus asks him a question. Do you love me more than these? Peter, how do you view yourself now? 
See, Jesus is not looking for some sort of false vibrato of Jesus, I'm the worst, just the worst, I can't believe I did this. He's not actually going there. He's asking him a question of, Peter, do you understand what just happened to you? Not just your sin and your guilt, but do you understand grace now? Do you understand what I've done for you on the cross? And I love Peter's answer. He says, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I think the pronouns in this sentence are really important. A solid yes and then a you. That's an interesting line before. Four days before, I don't think Peter would have said the you. He would have said, do you love me? He goes, of course I do. Haven't you seen my resume and qualifications? Top three disciples of all time, maybe the goat. I don't know, but probably. And have you seen all this? And more importantly, do you see my fellow disciples? They're a mess. Look at Barnabas. Look at, look at Matthew. Look at Luke. He would have pointed outward. But here he says, Jesus, you see me. You saw my heart then, you see my heart now. You know that my love for you is there and real. I see and understand your work on the cross for my sins and how you've paid for my sins. And that is why I love you. So Peter doesn't look at himself and say, I've mustered up enough love for you. He looks at Christ's death on the cross and says, I understand that. And it, out of that, it produces love for Christ. What is gone now is his view of safety. Jesus, I used to think it was, I was better than my peers and those around me. I could put my fellow disciples down and was full of good acts. And somehow I was better in your eyes and it kept me morally safe. I competed for your love because I thought that's what, what mattered. But it doesn't. You saw me at my worst and you didn't reject me. You actually gave your life so that I would never be rejected and that I could be restored. And here is where Jesus gives Peter something to do, which is fascinating to me. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he says something. He says, tend my lambs. Peter, I have work for you to do. I have use for you in my kingdom. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He asks again, do you love me? Peter answers, yes, I love you. And he says, shepherd my sheep. And he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And here's where Peter winces, doesn't he? Why does he wince? Why does he go, oh, not three? He's recalling back. I wonder a little bit if he's like, okay, Jesus saw me deny him that last time. But does he know there was two more before that? And he's like, okay, ask me twice. Maybe it's hard of hearing, the waves. Something's going on. And then he asks him a third time and he goes, nope, he saw it all. Jesus went there. I imagine Peter wanting to be done in one sense. Yes, we're okay to have this talk, but can it be quick and can we move on? And Jesus frankly says no. And this is part of restoration, isn't it? Let me, let me read it this way. Jesus says no, Peter, we're going to go all the way to the bottom of this. And here's why. Peter, restoration is not a fist bump and then we'll sweep it under the rug. Peter, I want you to see that your issue of fear and betrayal I have paid to the bottom. Not just the first time, not just the second time, not just the third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Peter, I saw it all and I paid it all. All the way to the bottom. Peter, get in the elevator with me. We're pushing the basement button because I want you to see each and every time I paid that, I paid that, I paid that. 
I paid that. And as Peter's like, can we please get off the elevator? Jesus is like, no, because you have to see that I've paid it all the way to the bottom. Otherwise, you were never truly free of your guilt until you see that God has paid it to the bottom. But as the elevator goes down, in very Jesus fashion, he gives Peter's jobs as he goes, doesn't he? Do you love me? Yes, and that. Oh, by the way, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, and that. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Oh, yes, and shepherd. He's giving him purpose and value. Do you see Christ's heart for us? It's not just, let's go there and let's talk about it. I want to pile guilt on you. Well, I'm going to go there so you see that I've paid it, but I also want to give you purpose as we go. Does that make sense? This is what restoration is. I think sometimes I've longed for this in my own heart, not to be restored, but to be ignored. Can we just not talk about that? And Jesus' answer is no. We have to talk about it so that you can see grace and that you can hear me give you purpose again. Peter was probably wondering, is there a role for me? Can I ever be part of what God is doing? Am I disqualified? Right? Am I sitting here like I was in Minneapolis, reading off F, 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 F. You don't work out here. You don't work out anywhere. That's not Christ's voice. That's not his heart in this. God, do you view my past as a huge liability for usefulness? You ever asked that question? I think guilt loves to scream that at you, doesn't it? Look what you've done. You are now useless to God's kingdom. But that's not true. Each time God gives a job, feed, tend, shepherd. But whose sheep are they? Feed what? What's the pronoun? My sheep. Tend, my sheep. Shepherd, my sheep. Whose sheep are they? Jesus is. Peter, they're not your sheep. I'm calling into action in my kingdom, not as a pity job, Not as a, hey, let's see if we can find Peter something to do. He's a huge liability. We've got to keep an eye on him. Maybe he can clean up sheep poop, right? That's about as good as we can go. No, he gives him a job that's directly related to the kingdom. See, Jesus doesn't want people feeding and tending his church whose hearts are full of pride and self-absorbed thinking. Now, these people are all welcome, right? This isn't about who's, who's allowed to come to Jesus. We're all allowed to come to Jesus. But Peter is getting to, Jesus is getting to Peter's heart here and says, I don't want you feeding sheep your food. I want you to feed my food. And I want you to understand what that is. Peter, I want you to wake up every day. I want those who wake up every day and say, God, if you don't hold me, I'm in trouble. Who understand that God has paid for the sins and their heart's response is love. Who value the role of feeding and carrying sheep. And by the way, sheep smell and wander off, don't they? Who understand that their sins are forgiven and that they're clean and right before God. Who understand that they are safe, not by building their own fortresses, but seeing God as their fortress. What was Peter's problem with betrayal? It wasn't anything other than just he didn't feel safe. He wanted safety. He wanted comfort in life. He had said, I don't mind it. I'll go with you, Jesus. But when it came push, come to shove, he actually exchanged that pretty quickly for his own version of safety. Who better to point people to Christ than those who have been pointed to Christ and see him? Those who believe and have chosen to live out lives, living out God's solution free of guilt. So there's our qualification. If you've ever wondered, can I be useful in God's kingdom? My question to you is, have you seen and experienced grace? Can you point someone 
to Jesus. We've, um, my wife and I have done a lot of premarital counseling here. Um, one of the things I love to say is, in marriage, one of my jobs is to take my wife's face and point her to Christ over and over and over again until she sees. And guess what one of her jobs is? To point my face to Christ. Because when we point them at each other, it might be fun for a few months, but then we realize we make terrible saviors. And things go off the tracks as I insist that she saves me from my challenges and fears. And I insist that she save, I save her from her challenges and fears. Rather, we point each other to Christ where our fears and our hope is. That's the same thing we have here. Got several applications here. And then we can be done. Here's my first thing. If you feel God is near you, if your heart is looking for restoration, jump in the water and start swimming toward him. I'm always amazed. Peter could have jumped either way out of that boat, couldn't he? Oh, there's Jesus. In he goes out to sea, right? You'll never take me alive kind of moment. Um, there was another individual in the Bible named Jonah who famously was like, nope, God's here, I'm out, right? I'd rather kill myself in the ocean than be near God. He swims to God. He wants he moves toward restoration. Second, allow God to push the button to the bottom floor of your past. His goal is to show you that he went there so that you might live life believing he completely has dealt with all, in my notes it's A-L-L capitals, all your junk of your past. You're free. He has dealt with it. Let God push the button to the basement. Don't make grace cheap. This is number three. Jesus fed Peter breakfast with hands. What were his hands looking like? What did he have in his hands? Holes from being nailed on the cross. Have you thought about that? Here, Peter, here's breakfast. Whew. That's a big hole. Yeah. It's not cheap. Jesus' death on the cross is not cheap. It was freely given, but it wasn't cheap. Allow him to ask you the question, do you love me? Am I your greatest? It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus only. You see, even though we fight till, we may fight till the day we die, we still don't bring our kingdoms into God's kingdom. We leave our kingdoms there, and we walk into God's kingdom and leave our kingdoms behind. See, at the end of the day, this is the heart of repentance, isn't it? This is what Jesus is calling Peter into is repentance. Peter, whose kingdom are you going to follow? Yours doesn't fit through the door. You need to either leave it behind and walk away from it, thus repentance, or you need to decide who you're going to follow. Number four, tell good gospel-centered stories. Have you ever wondered who was telling this story this whole time? We've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who have recorded this. There's no gospel of Peter. So they had to have heard this from who? Peter. Here's a guy that eventually came back to his friends who were writing out their narratives and said, can I tell you, what, Peter, what about that thing that you did? Do you want to talk about that? I want to kind of write that in this narrative. And Peter was like, yes, I want to tell you because Christ is at the center of a story, isn't it? Okay, Peter, there was three people that did this, right? Three huge Roman guards. One pinned you against the wall and said, are you with Jesus or not? Oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't a guard. It was a little tiny slave girl, and I was terrified. Here's Peter just being super honest about it. No one else was there, right? He could have said anything. 
But here's Peter going as wild in his story to say no. It wasn't cute. wasn't pretty. It was me scared to death of a little slave girl. And I want you to write that down. I want that to be in the story because that is my story. And that's what I need people to understand. It's not that I'm great. It's that Christ is the center of my story. Number five, if you've experienced Christ's grace in your life, serve. It's not a suggestion. It's a direct response to what God calls us all to do. We're not to be consumers. We're to be hands-on. Six, this is connected. You are qualified to serve because of Christ's work, not your good deeds or your skill set. We all have that medical device manager in our head that says, you don't fit, you don't belong anywhere, you're unqualified. But God's word says, you're qualified because you're his child who's experienced grace. And that should give us courage to step toward hard and dark things. We have to be able to do that. See, one of the things that I realized with Peter is he was scared, right? Do you think he was ready to step toward hard and dark things? Or was he like, I would love to feed sheep. Please send me the cute ones that don't bite, that are really nice sheep. Number seven, sheep are messy. We're all sheep. We're all messy. Here's my point on this. Don't be under the impression that this is little house on the prairie. The sun is shining. The sheep are bouncing back and forth. They're listening to you as you go out. Sheep, sheep struggle to eat sometimes. They require patience. Sheep get lost. They require really long walks to go find them sometimes. But whose sheep are they? They're God's sheep. He's calling us into tending his sheep. And hasn't he been the one that treated us with patience and kindness in our past? How hard is it then to spend a week, a month, a year? What about a lifetime? Serving God's sheep. See, we're called to action. All of us are. I've loved the fourth question we've asked all the directors. What help do you need? We could easily say, what sort of sheep-tending services do you offer that others can step in and answer the call and say, you know what? I've experienced grace. I am able to step in and help and be a part of this. Other views have asked questions like, how do I become more equipped? I don't feel like I understand how to do this well. Guess what? One of the things we've worked on is something called Story U. The U stands for university, not you, Y-O-U, by the way, just to be clear. In there will be classes someday, shortly. We already have some of them. Around, how do I understand my Bible? How do I become more equipped? How do I help others? What about these situations? Can I become a better sheep feeder to answer God's call in this. Lastly, here's the very last part. Just a sentence. Do you know how Peter died? Peter's probably about 30 years old, give or take. Jesus said to him at the end of that passage, if you recall, someday, Peter, you are going to die. 30 years later, church history shows that Peter was executed in Rome shortly after the fires of Rome. So if you recall history... Rome caught on fire one day, bad day, a lot of it burnt. They had to blame somebody, and they said it was the Christians who started this. So they rounded up a bunch of them, Peter included. 
And I can imagine the question going, weren't you with Jesus? Didn't you say you were a follower of Jesus? 30 years later, Peter gets to answer this question all over again. And guess what he says? Yep, I was with Jesus. He doesn't deny Jesus. I always kind of imagine he slips back on that T-shirt he's been holding all these years. Jesus, ride or die, prison or death. He circles death because that's what's coming, right? And they, interestingly enough, church history says that they crucified him. And church history also says, he goes, don't crucify me normal. Crucify me upside down because I don't want anyone to think that I was Jesus. I want even in my death for people to go, why is he upside down? Because guess what? He's still pointing back to who? Jesus. Church, Burbank, California needs people who have seen and experienced God's grace and can faithfully and patiently feed and tend and shepherd, even at great cost, God's sheep. When we say at the end of our services, go and be the church, in my mind, this is part of what I'm asking. I'm saying, go and be this church, the church that goes and feeds, not because we're so good at it always, but because we've experienced grace. And if you can point someone to Christ, not only do you have a role, but you are qualified to do that. Make sense? We are done. That is Grace and Guilt, part three, all the way through, as I've promised. I'm going to pray, and then um, Jared's going to come up and do, um, do communion, and then we're done. All right. You guys good? All right. God, we just thank you for grace. We thank you for its ability to end our guilt and our sin and our shame. And more importantly, or as importantly, it restores us to who you are. It gives us purpose in our callback so that we don't have to feel sitting on the sidelines. We're able to do and tend your sheep. In your name, amen.